All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Fragnito, and we have an excellent real estate investor and business leader today, Martin Perdomo. How are we doing today, Martin? I'm doing outstanding, brother. Thank you so much, Aaron, for having me on your show, my friend. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you here, and uh, I've enjoyed our uh, conversations beforehand as well. It's really interesting what you got going on, a lot of different things, um, and your business model has a lot of similarities with ours as well. So we'll probably be able to share some exciting stories here. But um, so Martin, what do you focus on doing and uh, what, what are you guys uh, up to over there? So um, just a little context, a little bit about me, uh, Aaron. I've been investing since 2007. I bought my first investment property, my first duplex in 2007. Sure. And uh, I used to be in the mortgage business. I was a mortgage guy giving away all, all the easy money back in the subprime days. I was, uh-huh. uh, people would knock on my door. And I literally remember Aaron telling people, uh, I was kind of an arrogant kid in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember telling people, Hey, if you don't like my rates, cause we were doing those arms, those ninja loans, no income, no job. Oh, yeah. no assets, that's that's right? what got us in trouble. That's what got the whole market in trouble, man. Selling <laughs> yeah. <I>, crap loans. <laughs> yeah. I literally remember telling people coming to my office, hey, if you don't like my interest rates, because we were giving 11% or 10% two-year mm-hmm. arms, brother, mm-hmm. back then, right? No right. income. That was those were the rates. And I remember telling people, you don't like my rates. I don't care. Bye. Go, go to the next person. Like it was like that. Like it was, yeah. it was, you know, that's arrogance. That's, <laughs> never do that now, but that's, that's what it was. It was easy to make money back in those days. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. That, that, that's what, that's what it was. I bought my first investment in seven because I saw so many people. I was helping so many people and I had this fear, which is kind of what's happening right now. And what happened last year, when I, when I say last year, I'm talking about 2021, it's what kind of what happened last year in 2021, where investors, so-called investors, were buying properties because everyone else was doing it, and they thought that we were going to run out of property. So I remember having we also we part of our distribution model here at Skill Property Finders is that we we flip. So I remember people, so-called investors, buying my retail properties, paying me 50000 over asking, mm. and they were so-called investors. And I'm like, how are you penciling these numbers? They just don't make sense. Right. So that, that was me then in 2007, bought my first property. Mm-hmm. Two years later, 2009, it was $100,000 in the water in a duplex, oh. my first duplex. And I had no experience. I knew nothing, Aaron. I, I just bought it because everyone else was doing it, like a lot of people did last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did it because everyone else was doing it. And um, because I was the mortgage broker, at the closing, I made 15 grand. So picture that. You right. buy an asset, mm-hmm. cash flowing asset, and you walk away with 15 grand at yeah. the table and you walk away with the asset. Mm-hmm. I did something really creative. I was creative. I am a creative guy. So we did some creative stuff. And um, sure enough, man, two years later, 100000 on the water. And mm-hmm. that was tough, man. It was tough surviving that. Mm-hmm. At People's Capital Group, we help you invest in real estate. Build your wealth by owning professionally managed apartment buildings in the northern New Jersey market. We want to show you how owning real estate is attainable, even for the busy professionals that don't have the time or experience investing in real estate. Now, we only work with select people who are serious about building wealth. So find out if you qualify at peoplescapitalgroup.com. Mm-hmm. But here's here's fast forward. I'm fast forward 14 years later. I bought a uh, a quad, which mm-hmm. it was a surprise quad. 
We bought oh. a triplex literally a few blocks away from the office. Right. And I was like, that basement, we're going to turn it into an apartment. I saw the meter base. It was an apartment at one point. We emptied it out. We emptied out the basement and boom, the, the kitchen, everything was there. So there was so much junk in there. The, wow. There was, there was so much crap in the basement. You didn't know there was a kitchen. We didn't, we didn't know there was a kitchen and a bathroom, brother. So <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was all there. It's beautiful now. We're almost done nice. with it. Yeah. And um, so we got a bonus. So anyways, as I'm buying that, this was in October. I bought it on Halloween. I closed on it. Mm. Uh, in September, beginning of October, the appraiser comes to my office to come pick up the check. He's going to go appraise that. So he's sitting across my desk, Aaron, and he asked, and I asked him, hey, what are you going to evaluate that property when I'm done doing the rehab, right? When I'm done mm-hmm. stabilizing and everything. Yeah. He goes, I don't know. But here he gives me this envelope with uh, a bunch of comps. Mm. And in this comps, I'm looking through, there's a comp two doors down from from that property, I told you I bought in seven in 07. Yeah, yeah. Right? Exact same property, exact same size. I mean, you know, they used to make those things. And yeah, same. Same same block, everything the same. And, um, yep. And I look at this, 385 sold a month uh-huh. before, right? Uh-huh. And the lesson, it was a reminder for me, and it should be a reminder for all of us as investors, is that real estate is very forgiving long-term. Mm-hmm. We're going into a time in real estate right now where things are things are already unstable in the financial capital markets, mm. in the capital markets. Mm-hmm. Things are unstable in the capital markets. We're seeing declines across everywhere in terms mm-hmm. of valuation and in sales and the single family space. We're seeing declines everywhere on that. Mm. And the thing is, don't panic. Hang on. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate. Ah. Wait, wait, yeah. Very forgiving, right? Oh, I say that every day. <laughs> <laughs> Very forgiving, man. I looked at that and it was, it was literally for me, it was almost, a, uh, it was a sign from God to me. When I, when I looked at that, it was like, man, you know, God's telling me, hey, hey just keep playing the long game. Remember yeah. the long game. It was just a reminder because yeah. I remember in 09, Aaron, when I was a hundred thousand on wa- on the water. Now, mind you, in 09, I knew nothing about what I know today, I knew, I knew, yeah. I, I didn't know about syndication. I didn't know how to run a business, which is some of the things I want to talk about today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, it's about the four main pillars of business. I didn't know any of this stuff. So mm-hmm. I was, I, my kids were all small and I was, when I had a vacancy, I was the one that was filling them. Right. I was the one going there to paint. I was the one going there to take out the garbage. Yeah. I was the maintenance. I was it, brother. Um, the garbage man, the janitor, the leasing Ooh. agent, and the owner, and the borrower, and like, Dude, oh. everything, man. <laughs> Your tenants are like, you don't own this building, bro. You're why are you cleaning out my toilet if you're so successful? You know, like <laughs> and everything. And and I look at that as my school, right? I, I quickly yeah. learned that hey, I'm doing something wrong. How how is this? I met a guy named Jay and he he had a full-time job and he owned like 40 doors in in um in a town in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre area. Yeah, yeah. In, in the Poconos. Uh-huh. And and I was like, dude, how are you doing this? You got a full-time job. I'm Mr. Entrepreneur yet. Mm-hmm. I, 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 how? Mm-hmm. Right? But it was my mindset, right? It was my mindset on how I view, viewed business. I, I didn't have a model. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't really understand business. I was just doing it because everyone else was doing it. And I was more of a solopreneur. And I wasn't building a business. Now mm-hmm. I'm building a business. I'm building a company. Right. Building something that functions even if I'm not here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's what a business is. I That's realized for, for years, um, I built my business the wrong way and uh kind of built it around 
me in a sense and i you know oh we we have a gap here i'll do it right i'll fill in the gaps i'll just work more hours i'll figure out how to do youtube marketing you know instead of hiring a company to do it i bought a course on it and figured i was going to now be a youtube marketer and i was going to you know figure out how to do all the back end computer stuff which i'm terrible with uh, but that's you know a small example of something you know I'm I'm not a good like computer analytical marketing guy you don't want to hire me to create your like back office marketing uh, strategy on on uh, social media it's like very in depth very technical that's not me you put me on stage give me a microphone put me in front of people I'm a public speaker uh, and uh, more on the marketing branding of big picture side but. Yeah. And, and you got to recognize your strengths and weaknesses. Um, now, getting started in business is tough because you're like, well, I can't afford to hire a marketing person. You know, da, 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 the money's not coming in. But there's always ways to um, kind of learn how to do something pretty well and then uh, give some give it off to someone that you can pay a very low wage for. You know, I always say if I could pay someone 12 to $20 an hour to do this or even on Upwork, maybe $8 an hour, you know, then I shouldn't be doing it, right? And that's Absolutely. my rule of thumb. Now, there is a period of time where you kind of need to do something to figure out how it fits into your business. You know, what is my process? If someone downloads an ebook and inputs their phone number, you know, what is the process then to connect with them? How do we, you know, touch them? Is it an email, phone call? You know, what, what's the process? So you have to know your process. But then once that's in place, if you can hire someone for $12 an hour to make the initial phone calls or whatnot, um, then uh, then do that. You know, that's what I've, of course, done in, in my business. But it takes time to, you know, you have to kind of build up your systems and create some type of income as well to start to afford those services. But it's the bit of the chicken and the egg, because if you don't hire the right people and develop the processes the right way, then you're not going to run a profitable business. Um, and uh, so it, 100%. it is, you know, unique in that sense. But um, I liked what you were saying about the four pillars of business. You know, I uh, try to have four pillars in my life. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember what those are right now. <laughs> I haven't been really uh, going over it. But I remember like a year ago, I was talking to my wife, like, we need to have four pillars. You know, I think it was church and exercise, uh, going out uh, without our son, you know, and, and uh I'm thinking of my fourth pillar. I can't. Oh, travel, travel was what we wanted. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, let's focus on your four pillars of business. Um, and what what are those for you? So these are not my four pillars of business. These are the four pillars in business, right? So okay. these are the four phases of business, right? Mm -hmm. And going to what you said, you just shared something, right? Um, there's four there's four phases in business, and you have the first phase is the launch phase, and I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and like this one, like yours and mine and, mm -hmm. and people like us, right, that are business people and winning and doing this stuff, or doing real estate and, and buying businesses and doing things in business. And we we we, we always talk about uh, building a team, mm -hmm. right? Well, you just you just alluded to that building a team. If you can have someone that's building a team. Well, in the launch phase, there's four phases in business, which is a launch phase. A lot of times we hear we hear things in in different podcasts. Hey, your team, your team, your uh, dude. I believe in my team. I love my team because without my team, I can't do what I do. There's no way that I can buy uh, a 57 unit apartment building and execute and increase the rents by 30 percent within six months and and have and have it stabilized and collect the rents and 
I can't do that by myself. Right? Right. <laughs> it's just the right. way I could do that by That's myself. It's not possible. Like, yeah. It's impossible. It's just mm-hmm. it's, that that would be all I do, and I and I would hate this business if I was doing it by myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. However, we tend to talk in terms of oh, you should have a team and a team and a team. But at the beginning stages, if you recall when you started your business, uh, Aaron, you you can afford to have a team, right? You mm-hmm. can afford to have a team. You're you're you know. When I did my first, I, I remember, I'll share this quick story with you. I did my first flip and mm. my first flip, I bought it in November mm. and we're in the Poconos and by, it was a heavy rehab and I put stuff in there thinking, you know, HGTV, right? <laughs> so just, just you, luckily I bought that thing for 15 grand and I, I negotiated such, negotiated such a sweet deal, HGTV, yeah. right? So we, my wife and I went, we did barn sink, all this craziness, right? right? In a three bedroom one bathroom ranch. Right. <laughs> and I remember um, being, I, I was going to a meeting one night and I was in my black and white suit mm. and it was February at this mm. point. And we had one of those strange two days in the month of February where it hit 55, 57 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Snow was melting. And uh-huh. I said, holy crap, we're going to take this opportunity and we're going to paint the exterior because oh, this God. is it. I, we're going to paint. So I went, ran to, to the paint store, got the paint, got the guy. Uh-huh. But now by four o'clock, it's dark. Right? <laughs> it's winter, right? Four o'clock is dark out here. So I and got there yeah. and it's cold again, mm-hmm. right? And this is the time the painters, we got all the stuff to him and he, sure. he's there. I remember being out there in the mud because we had snow on the floor. Mm-hmm. It was melting, so now it's muddy. I'm mm-hmm. in my black and white suit, so, so, so <laughs> and 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 my painter is spraying, and I'm holding the light. Right, right. I'm holding the light so we can execute <laughs> on this thing. Right, oh, I'm God. all muddied. I'm dressed up. Uh, my shoes are muddy. My suit's muddy. I didn't care. Yeah. I was going to execute on that thing. So a lot of time in the launch phase, when you're launching, which is phase number one. You yeah. have to do what you have to do. You literally have to get muddy and dirty, and you have to do what you have to do. You're sure everything. Do. Yeah. You're secretary, you're answering the phone, you're doing you're doing mm-hmm. it. So that's phase number one. Then phase number two is the growth stage, right? So once you once you launch and you get a little bit of momentum, now mm-hmm. you start getting clients or you start getting leads and mm-hmm. your business starts to grow. Or you mm-hmm. may be in our business in real estate. Now you maybe have a couple of duplexes under your belt. You yeah. maybe have a couple of, of people that are running and, and doing maintenance work for you. You kind of have a little bit of a network mm-hmm. and um, your business is growing. You're kind of creating a name for yourself. Right. And uh, people are sending you deals. You're working with wholesalers. You're, you're working with lend with some bridge lenders and yeah. you're getting things kind of going. Mm-hmm. What happens is... Do you have a question for me? It seems like you had, you, you wanted to ask. No, 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 no. I was just uh, yawning. <laughs> late, <laughs> yeah. late night. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all good. What what <laughs> happens is um, at this point is that most people want to skip a phase three. Okay. And they want to go to phase four, which is the right. scale phase. <laughs> right? Where the so, money starts rolling in. <laughs> yeah. So people, and listen, listen, I'm mm-hmm. guilty of this, brother. Like I'm guilty of of trying to skip phase two right and going straight to phase four and mm-hmm. the, and that's the scale phase when you, uh, you your business starts to scale and you have systems in place and you could just turn up the marketing turn up these things and and your business kind of starts running like a machine right well what happens is if you skip stage step phase three and you try to go to phase four mm-hmm. all it does is 
there's a saying in business and it says um, most businesses don't die of starvation. They, they die of, um, what's the word? Uh, suffocation, right? Of, okay. of too much, right? So, oh, I could see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Too much because they don't have the business. They don't have the systems in place. Right. So phase three is setting constraints in your business mm-hmm. before you scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what could that look like? And and we we right. And I'm going to talk for 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 our business here um, mm-hmm. in our business. So we're one of the biggest flippers. We in 2021 we were the biggest flipper in our market. Nice, right? Um, we 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 bought and hold, and it was the right time to do it. Right, like mm-hmm. the market was just it was a lot of money to be made in the market. We did fantastic. Yeah, and um, but in 2022 we slowed down. And now at the end of 2022, with the market slowing down, interest rates going up, mm-hmm. we're looking at our business and we're saying, okay, we're going to set some new constraints in our business. Mm. For example, hey, the market shifted, right? Mm-hmm. We we can't do what we did in 21 or in 22 or early yeah. in 22. It's not going right. to work in 23. It's just right. not, mm-hmm. right? We have to set new constraints. So new constraints for us are, hey, yeah, we'll do a flip. Mm-hmm. If we can do it in, if we can, it's a light rehab, we can go put lipstick, paint it, light yep. rehab in two, three weeks. Yeah. We can make 60,000 or more net right. profit. Right, right, right. Yeah. And we can be out. Those are the constraints. If it mm-hmm. doesn't meet those constraints and someone mm-hmm. brings us a deal or mm-hmm. our marketing, we got a deal that, that fits that constraint, we're going to just sell it to another investor. Mm-hmm. Wholesale that contract. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We, there's a lot of similarities in our business model. We do the same thing because we were flipping houses for many years and the market uh, shifted. We actually slowed down on flipping uh, before uh, you, you guys. We uh, really focused a lot on wholesaling in 2016, 2017, 2018. And that started probably around 2015, actually, because th- it was a gold mine. Mm-hmm. I remember going to the sheriff sale auctions in Newark, New Jersey, in 2015. And this was before a lot of people were showing up. And there was probably about six or seven people that were really bidding and buying properties and maybe another you know dozen or two that were just kind of spectators. So it was pretty easy to talk to those six or seven other investors. And there was so much inventory. Mm-hmm. It was like hundreds of properties. Our biggest challenge was underwriting all these deals within you know the hours or two you have because the list would be online, but it would be like 300 properties. And when it finally got to the chopping block the day of, it would be more like um, 70 properties, which is still mm. a ton. If you're talking mm-hmm. about having like six to 10 real buyers in the room and there's 70 properties being auctioned that day, like guys, we don't have to compete with each other. We can, now you're you're, you know, we didn't do this, of course, because it is illegal to talk to the other bidders at the mm-hmm. sheriff sale auction. But there were some people that were communicating with them, and you're getting your own property, and then working mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in with the uh, the other bidders. working so, it out, working it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you guys get this one, we'll get that one, and mm-hmm. you know, so it, it was amazing that during that time, and uh, and a lot of those people too, I still am in touch with, you know, because uh, we're running the same race. We really mm-hmm. should uh, keep in touch in a lot of ways. Um, so it was great though. Great time to wholesale properties. And we wholesaled over a hundred properties over that, uh, two to three year period from like 2015 to 2018. 
And we made over a million dollars of net wholesale profits mm. after expenses and everything like that. So just uh, really making hay while the sunshine. And our business was extremely profitable, very cash heavy. And of course, we got nailed on taxes at the end of the year because we did so well. And uh, we're flipping houses at the same time and kind of making our mistakes there also. Um, but it was a phenomenal time. But then we realized at the end of the year, we're like, wait a minute we're not really following our initial business model of syndicating apartment buildings. See, we had bought and sold a 25 unit apartment building around that same time and done very well on it. And I was kind of learning how to raise capital on a grander scale with investors that are looking to invest longer term, nearly people outside the real estate industry. So I had to make a conscious effort kind of, you know, I was a realtor, I was a wholesaler, I was a fix and flipper. So all my contacts were kind of in the industry and those investors were good for like a six month or a one year investment. But the, quite frankly, people in the industry have higher demands on their return on investment and expect to put the capital to work for a shorter amount of time. Mm -hmm. People outside the industry that invest with us now, doctors, lawyers, school teachers, firefighters, business executives, um, they are looking to just invest capital for the long term, build wealth for themselves and their family and understand it's a kind of a long, a long game, the investment strategy. Um, so those are better investors for a real estate syndication, which we run now. So I had to make a conscious effort to kind of transition our business from making hay while the sun shined, you know, wholesaling a lot of properties, fix and flipping properties when the deals were there. And then around 2018, I mean, everyone and their mom was at the sheriff's sale auctions. Yep. They were bidding up crazy numbers. They didn't make sense. And we knew we were like, you guys are not going to do well on this. Now, the market did so well over the next four years. I think a lot of those people that overbid just got saved by the market. The market um, saved them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, listen, I, I probably got saved here and there a couple deals as well. But it, mm -hmm. the bottom line is, you know, we saw the writing on the wall. We're like, you guys are paying way too much for these properties. We knew what the good deals were. We were here three years ago getting those deals. Um, and now you guys are going to lose your shirt on this. So we kind of sat back and stopped going to the auctions because quite frankly, it's a waste of time at that point. And um, really double down the syndication space, recognizing, you know, wow, we fixed and flipped 50 properties, you know, 47 of them did really well. Three were total stinkers and like wipe out the profit on, you know, these other, you know, so we realized, wait a minute, you can make money flipping houses, but you can also lose, lose. Money pretty heavy too, you know, yeah. and when you lose on high end flips, which we were struggling on, you lose big, you know, now we mm -hmm. always made sure to pay our investors. So they got a 12% annualized return on their investment, no matter what we did over here. You know, if we hired the wrong contractor and didn't make money on a flip, our investors still got paid, mm -hmm. still got the return. Um, so, you know, it was important to make sure of that, but we recognize too, you know, Hey, you can do well flipping, but you can also do poorly and you can wipe out a lot of those gains if you do poorly here. And uh, so, also, so how did how did you how did you quick question for you is how how did you what did you do to to pivot from when you were doing that you know you were doing that that volume of wholesales mm -hmm. to pivot to to strictly syndication apartments right because we mm -hmm. we knew all along for us we kind of knew all along we were doing we were buying and flipping, but at the same time, we were building our, our apartment building portfolio. So we, mm -hmm. we, were, we were doing both simultaneously. Hey, we got to yeah. pay the bills. We got to meet. Oh, we got to pay payroll. Right. And we're also syndicating here on the side, you know, at the same time and building this arm because we knew we knew this party wasn't going to end. Mm -hmm. But how was that for you moving from one, just stopping one to the other? It was tough. It was really tough. And we had to consciously take a haircut on income as well. Because when you start focusing on a real estate syndication, 
Um, you know, first of all, I, I couldn't keep wholesaling a hundred deals in a, in a year. I, I couldn't fix and flip, you know, a dozen properties. Now, Seth Martinez, my business partner, handles operations, but we had to consciously decide, hey, we're going to put less time and resources into these things that we're slowing down on the profit end, you know, the wholesale and fix and flips. And we're going to consciously develop our business more as a syndication, which was our original business model. In 2013, we started People's Capital Group. Our goal was to get a thousand units in the next three years. We bought a 25 unit. And then I went to raise capital for another building. And I realized how hard it was, like I was saying, to convert, you know, investors that are investing in one year notes with us and fix and flips to now invest in an equity position on an apartment building that has a maturity, you know, a, a justified gratification. We're getting to the refinance may take two to three years to get there. So those are different types of investors with mm -hmm. different goals and needs. And generally, people completely outside the real estate industry, which quite frankly, you know, my conversation with a doctor about how to invest in real estate is very different from a guy who fix and flips five, six houses a year and has some excess cash to invest. It's a, a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. right? But at the end of the day, the doctor is going to value us a lot more because he's never going to do what we're doing. He's working 67 hours a week in healthcare. He's making a great income there. He's getting nailed on taxes. So we are a good solution for his investment goals where a fix and flipper, you know, is in the industry and doesn't value what we create our infrastructure as much because quite frankly, they're in the industry. But, you know, I had to consciously pivot what I was doing with my time, how I was speaking to people. Um, what I was educating on, you know, and for the first year I raised capital, I would talk about raising capital and how to raise capital. And uh, even though I really didn't know much about it at the time, but, um, and that's not how you raise capital. You know, I mean, listen, if you want to sell books and CDs about how to raise capital, yeah, talk about how to raise capital. But I was like, not understanding how to raise capital for syndication. So I had to teach myself how to raise capital for real estate syndication. We had to develop our management company, our infrastructure better so that it could take buildings that are mismanaged, reposition them quickly and lease them up for top dollar to refinance in a, in a fast manner. So we had to really build our infrastructure in place. I had to learn a whole new business. And I was like, oh, I'm a fix and flipper and a wholesaler. I've syndicated a building. This will be easy. No, it like it was selling securities because that's what I do. I essentially, I sell security, you know, in a sense mm -hmm. at the end of the day mm -hmm. is very different than fix and flipping or wholesaling real estate. So I I had, you know, it took me four years probably to really learn how to speak with investors the right way, how to raise capital in this uh, different space. And uh, I'd say just this year, I've probably started to crack the code, but boy, it, it's been quite a journey, my friend. So so there there is, you, you just literally, you just literally shared with us, with me and your audience, how you went through the launch phase, the growth phase, when you did 100, and you skipped the constraints phase, and you went straight to the scale phase. <laughs> and then you decided, holy crap, we need to create some constraints phase, some constraints, because this is not our business. This is not where we're going, right? This is not the direction we want to go. And you and your partner had to create some constraints and some guardrails, like, hey, we're not going to do this. This is what we're gonna do. We're we're gonna we're gonna you know for your own words we're gonna syndicate. We're gonna raise capital and we're gonna buy this large apartment buildings because this is what we wanted. Mm -hmm. And a lot of invest a lot of us as investors, you know, I would hear podcasts and you probably heard in, in some of the some of the large podcasts like you know, maybe you've had guests here that that would tell people uh, tell newbies like hey 
go ahead, you know, just start, start with the larger assets. The little ones don't mm-hmm. make sense. Mm-hmm. You've probably, you've probably heard that. The yeah. challenge you, you have, right? Like yeah, the little yeah. ones don't make sense. I own a bunch of little ones and I'm looking at my books right now and I'm saying, okay, it's time for me to get rid of the little ones. The little ones don't make sense, but I'm there now. Right. Right. right? <clears throat> I'm here now. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming from a place of being completely broke. I'm yeah. not coming from a place like, hey, my family's going to eat. My mortgage is going to get paid. Things are going to, business is going to go. Like I have leverage with different things, but I had to get there. So it's so a lot of times we we give newbies advice like, hey, go and buy an apartment building. Because that's, yes, that's, the, that's 100% correct. But when you're broke and you don't have any education, you don't have nothing. Yeah. Brother, you got to start. You got to start. Mm-hmm. You just yeah, gotta start small. Start. Yeah. You got to like, start. Yeah, like, yeah, just buy a condo. Yeah, something like that. You know, Start. Like, get I, some net cash flow coming in and start yeah. learning this thing. I got a call from a woman I know that went to a uh, Grand Cardone conference and mm-hmm. uh, she got really inspired, you know, mm-hmm. and I follow, I follow Grant because, you know, mm-hmm. he's the biggest guy in the industry. So you got to follow him. I think he's a bit mm-hmm. of an bit of boastful for my taste mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. uh, i get it i get what he does he's a master marketer um so she went to the conference and she's like i locked up a, a 1200 unit apartment building in florida and i need to raise 82 million dollars in the next like 60 days and i was like uh how much money have you raised in the past she's like zero i was like how much have you raised so far she's like zero i was like don't call what? me. I don't know what to tell what's, you. what's your track record? Yeah, what's your track record? What's but your marketing? Lenders, budget? lenders are gonna ask you. Lenders yeah. gonna want to know, like, yeah, dude, like, oh, the lender, dude, right? How are you gonna get yeah. the loan? For this How thing? are you gonna yeah. get a loan for this thing? How are you gonna right. exit it? What team? These are the yeah. questions the lenders ask. Well, who's and your who's, team? Who's gonna really invest? I mean, you need some large scale investors to raise eighty two million dollars, and you're not gonna be talking to uh, school teachers putting thirty thousand dollars in their IRA to work. You'll never get there, you know. So. Um, it, it's really uh, the wrong advice. Now I get it. You know, more units under one roof is easier to manage. I'd it, much rather, you know, own a 20, 50, hundred unit than, than a six unit or two unit. You know, I get mm-hmm. it. So yeah, the economies of scale makes sense on paper, but in reality, you know, I, my first syndication was a 25 unit, which was pretty reasonable. It was also lower price. It was like a one point uh, I forget what I bought it for 1.7 or something. So, you know, I put together like 450,000, but it was friends and family and I exhausted that. And then I was like, all right, I can do this again. And I locked up another 25 unit, in the same town thinking I could just go to friends and family. And, but the well was dry, you know, they said, listen, perform on this one asset and then we'll go ahead and do it. So then I called up, you know, all the people I was fixing, and flipping and wholesaling deals with and said, Hey, do you want to invest in a you know, five-year project? They're like, Nope, I, I do six month project, you know? So I realized, wow, you know, this is a whole different space and the friends and family are only good as, as far as, you know, you, you can, you can raise capital. There is eventually going to exhaust the well. And it was a great learning experience for us. And we actually uh, lost about $15,000 on due diligence because we were doing the due diligence, underwriting the deal. This was years ago, about eight years ago. And uh, we didn't weren't able to close on it because I wasn't mm. able to raise the capital in time. And we did kind of make a decision, you know, where we didn't really lose our full deposit, but we lost about fifteen thousand dollars on on the, on the deal there. And it was a learning experience for us that, hey, you know, you really have to have those relationships in place with those individuals looking to invest in the long term and be, um, um, you know, really uh, watering those relationships. And 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 um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 
cultivating, cultivating mm-hmm. those relationships. Uh, because if you just come to someone and you're like, oh, you have capital to invest, you know, great. Here's the deal. Wink, bada, bing, bada, boom. You know, sometimes that'll work. You know, as you get a track record, it's definitely easier. You know, it depends who you're talking to. But yeah. for the most part, people want to have a relationship, have a cultivation period where you're getting to know each other, building rapport. Also, the SEC requires that as well. So um, it, it's really a process. And the individual who went to the Grant Cardone thing and got inspired and put a 1200 unit under contract and doesn't have those relationships in place. I mean, heck, she should have been starting those relationships two years ago now to raise any type of $80 million capital, you know? And um, so it's just kind of the wrong way to do it. I've heard people say, you want to raise money, go get a deal first. And I'm like, no, that's the wrong advice. If you go to someone with a deal and like, you got to invest by Thursday, they're going to get turned off and uh, you'll, you might lose that investor forever. And in addition to that, my friend, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, you know, and this is some of my challenges with a lot of these, a lot of these so-called gurus, right? Mm-hmm. Go and do a hundred units. And it's like, dude, you know better. Mm-hmm. You know what the banks are going to ask you. You mm-hmm. know the banks are going to ask you what relationships do you have? Who's your team? Yeah. How, what what have you executed? What's your track record? What have you done? How why would we trust you with this money? You know they're going to do their due diligence on you. And if you don't have a track record, like like the this person giving this advice knows. And and the other thing to that is you gotta grow into that, right? You gotta grow into that. You you because you can't tell someone that just that hasn't bought any real estate. All right, let's just be real, Aaron. You and I both seasoned investors in this business. When you was wholesaling, before you bought that $1.7 million deal, I'm just gonna take you back there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just go back there for a moment. And I would have said to you, hey Aaron. I have this great deal. Hmm. I have this great deal for you. It's a 100-unit apartment building in a B-class neighborhood. It's a C-class in a B-class neighborhood. And you're going to have, you got a 25% upside on the rent that Mm -hmm. you can, you, it's going to cost you $6 million, but you're, but when you're done, it's going to be $10 million. If I would have came to you, talked to you about $6 million mm-hmm. when you were just starting in the business and you knew nothing about this language, you had no, you hadn't executed on no rehab. You hadn't, you hadn't done any of that. You had no teams in place. None of that. Your mind, our minds, mm-hmm. your mind at that point was going to say, holy crap, that's too big. Six million. Wow. Yeah. That sounds great. But where you don't. At the beginning, you don't initially, unless you've done a lot of personal development work, which mm-hmm. I'm going to presuppose that a lot of your listeners have, a lot of mine do, because we we both do. That's why we're here, mm-hmm. right? I'm supposed we both do. That's why we're here. So, but but most people aren't ready for to hear six million dollars. They've yeah. never, they've, ne- you know, most people are conditioned to think that. Six million dollars in debt is bad, and they're gonna go. You, they don't. You know, most people, most Americans don't understand how to use debt properly. Right. If right. I would have started talking to you about six million dollars right off of Jump Street, mm-hmm. your brain would have said, "Oh shit, no!" I, I like no, like great, but there's you. You haven't grown into that, right? You haven't gotten that confidence, and this is where I think it again. The the phases of business, right? Launch, growth, constraints. Now you're growing. Now you start to set some constraints. Like, hey, okay, now I got some experience. Now I know what I'm doing. 
boom, buy that duplex, buy that, buy those first start, learn how to do it with the little ones. Yeah. And now you've experienced it with the little ones. Now you've done maybe a flip here or a two. Yeah. Now you can say, okay, I, f- I have that confidence. Mm-hmm. I can go to Aaron and say, hey, Aaron, I got this deal. And I could speak the language. Mm-hmm. I can speak the language. I can say, I got this deal. This is what we're going to do. Let's partner up on this. Mm-hmm. Let's get me, get me some investors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you go to the bank and you can negotiate and, and speak the language. So anyways, um, a lot of these gurus, in my, my opinion, um, they're, they mean well. I think they really right. mean well. Right. But the site, they got to understand the psychology of human behaviors, man. A human, yeah. a human being is not going to start with 6 million, 10 million. Yeah. Well, you got to understand too, they're running a business and they're selling a product at the end of the day also. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, part of what they're selling is inspiration and mm-hmm. dreams, you know, and, uh, and that's important, right? It's important to be inspired and, and get your ass out of bed in the morning and, and to have mm-hmm. a vision and have confidence in yourself and your ability to perform. However, there is also reality and people I've seen them lose their deposit on deals, you know, and just, Oh, I'll just lock it up and figure it out later. Cause I heard a podcast that told me, you know, and, um, and, and that that's not good. That can also turn someone off to the industry who could have been a great, uh, a successful real estate investor, but instead they, uh, you know, had a bad experience off the bat. They bid off more than they could chew. They lost some money and they're never going to do it again, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I do think there's a bit of a conflict of interest a lot of times with individuals selling coaching and, and educational materials. Now, a lot of them are worth the money. Um, and others are overpriced crap. And uh, mm-hmm. so you got to recognize what that is. And usually if you go online, if they're any type of big name uh, educator, you can buy, buy the packages used on eBay or something for a fraction mm-hmm. of what they're selling at the event. So, um, but I, you know, I've also met people that have um, done like the fortune builders program, which is probably one of the most in-depth educational programs. They're like, you know, a fortune 500 company. They're very well known but they're not cheap. They're really expensive. And I've met people that have done the $50,000 coaching package or the 80,000, you know, and they'll come to me with pretty rookie questions. Fundamentals. And, yeah. And I'm like, come on, like you, you didn't, you know, what your, your $50,000 coach didn't guide you on this. You know, what, what do you, how's that even possible? So, or they buy the package and there's just so much, you know, lease to own, uh, syndication, fix and flip, wholesaling. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do it all because I got the package on how to do it all. So, you know, that's the wrong answer. You got to have a process. You got to have a business model. You got to have a plan. I'm going to do all the markets. You know, no, you got to have a market, you know, an actual product you're buying. Um, So, and I get it because, you know, the real estate industry, it's, it has its ups and downs, you know, you'll have a really good year, then you have a slow year. So selling, Educational material is a great business model, and I completely understand it as an entrepreneur. And maybe I'm just jealous, but we don't sell. <laughs> you know, we don't sell the coaching for that reason, right? I just feel like, man, I'm I, I'm either gonna, you know, invite you to invest with us and and sell you a security and investment opportunity in, in one of our uh, one of our buildings, or am I selling, you know, the recipe on how to do it and, and everything, you know, and and, and all the the flour and everything to make it, you know, no, I'm selling a finished pizza. You know, I'm not selling the flour and the crust and the, the dough. And no, I'm selling you a finished pizza. Here it is. You know, if you want to go make your own pizza, yeah, then, you know, go, go to the supermarket and buy, buy those, but like that, you know, you're selling one or the other. Um, and uh, so that, that's kind of how I feel about the educational space, but I get it. I, I understand why people do it. And there are a lot of people that come to me and say, do you offer mentorships or education and things like that? 
And I say, nah, I just focus on helping people invest in real estate. That's my goal. You said something really key there, Aaron. And, and, I, and I'd like to share this with, with you and your audience. I interviewed someone on my podcast, Latinos in Real Estate Investing Podcast here uh, a week ago. Mm-hmm. And this gentleman uh, has recorded 740 episodes. He's in wow. the last few years. I know. We tell you that's super impressive, right? Super impressive. And I asked him this one question. I actually did this last week twice because I asked my financial planner, my personal financial planner. I had him on my podcast and I said to him, I asked him the same, a similar question and I got the same answer. I asked my financial planner, I said, in your 33 years of dealing with wealthy people, dealing with rich people, setting up trust, all these six elaborate, I learned something brand new from my financial planner I never had heard before. And it was a reverse 1031. Have you ever heard of that? I'd never heard of it. No. I, Dude, he just did it on a property he bought. And I'll, I'll share that with you in a moment because yeah. I, I actually i am going to be calling him because I'm thinking I'll share it with you in a moment. And I asked him the question. I said, hey, in your 33 years of being a financial planner and and what is the one common thing you have found among self-made millionaires, mm-hmm. not the people born with a silver spoon, not people, mm-hmm. people like you and I, self-made, right? Yeah. We've kind of done it, right? Mm-hmm. Self-made millionaires. What's the common theme? Then I asked Sam, right? And I had him on my podcast. He recorded 740. And I said, Sam, you had said you've recorded 740 people like myself, different entrepreneurs, different people in real estate. What is the common thing of the of the high achievers? The three top things you've learned. Mm-hmm. You said it a moment ago, right? These people go to these educational courses. So they'll go to fortune builders, you said, and they give them all this information there's so many lanes to play and they can't pick they're gonna do it all and we Mm -hmm. both know how that is a recipe for disaster Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they both said one thing both of them said one thing um emrick said to me my financial planner said to me focus he says my my self-made self-made wealthiest people in my Mm -hmm. in in his 33 years clients wealthiest people Mm -hmm. he said um they focus and they just focus and they become so good at that one thing that before they, they put their head down and they just do that thing, that thing, that thing mm-hmm. before they, and they just keep improving, improving, improving. They're not afraid to invest in themselves. They're not afraid to invest in their team and pay people well, mm-hmm. right? I mean, stuff mm-hmm. we've been talking about here, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not afraid to do this stuff. And before they know, they put their head up and they're the best in the world at what they do. They're the best in the country in their industry. They're the best at the, whatever it is that they're doing. They're mm-hmm. the best at what they do because they focus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They focus, and that—that's another topic that I that I that I that I speak because I'm also a speaker and I speak on the three forces of creation. And the first force is focus. Mm-hmm. And Sam, when I asked him what are the three top things you've learned, and he said to me, "Top three, three things I've learned from the highest and the, the most consistent message: mm-hmm. focus." Mm-hmm. focus mm-hmm. focus constraints right going back to phase number three of the three main constraints we say no to more things than yes. we say yes to because it doesn't fit what we are currently focused on right right the word no is maybe a lot more than the word yes in this business yeah right we say no to more things than it than we do mm-hmm. say yes right mm-hmm. we we're setting yeah. certain constraints in our business right now where we're we like i shared with you if, if we if this deal if 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 something comes across our production line and mm-hmm. it doesn't 
and it meets these criteria, that's the only way we're going to do it and rehab it and put it back on the market in the retail market. If it does not, it stays in the production line and it just keeps going and we and we sell it to someone else. Right. If, if from that production line, we got a 25, 30 unit, 50 unit, we pick that out and that's ours. We're going we're gonna to do that deal. But that's the only things that we're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're shredding out, and we're shredding out the twos and the threes from our portfolio. And right, we're, 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 it's just we're there now. But we are here yeah. now. We're not. Right. We didn't start that way. We're here now, where we can say, okay, we don't want yeah. the twos anymore because they're not as profitable as the fifties and the hundreds. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not selling any of my real estate. Mm-hmm. I, I I like my twos and my threes and my sixes. I got some single family homes. I got some condos. You know, I scooped them up for. 50 grand at auction five years ago. They're worth three times that now. It's like, why sell? You know, mm-hmm. even if uh, I own a, like some condos and, and uh, they don't really cash flow that much, I probably break even on them, but the equity in there is just like phenomenal. So, you know, if I, I can refinance a little bit every few years or so, and, and the tenants are paying on the mortgage, you know, they, they kind of pretty much break even, make a little profit, few bucks here or there. But it's crazy, you know, the single family homes I own as well, um, just the equity growth in them has been phenomenal because we bought them at the right time in the market. Mm-hmm. We've maintained them well. So um, my motto is kind of like never sell, you know, eventually uh, handed hand down to my heirs, you know, my my son, who uh, you're saying being, being born with a silver spoon in my mouth. That's my biggest concern. <laughs> on my side of handing him a hundred million dollar real estate portfolio and teaching right. him. Let me tell you. I woke up what I woke up one day. I'll share the story with you, right? I woke up one day. So my kids are older. Uh, my wife and I started really young. We had our first one at 18, 18 wow. and 19. We have four kids. My oldest is 26. He's going to be 27 wow. now in, in February. We were kids. We all grew up together, basically. Mm-hmm. And one day I woke up about, I'm going to say 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I woke up. And I look around and the kids are playing video games. They're all small, right? They're all smaller. Mm-hmm. Kids are playing video games. We have this nice, you know, we have a modest house. It's not not mm-hmm. the house, not the house that I, I envision for my wife and I. Mm-hmm. You know, I have bigger visions, bigger aspirations for, mm-hmm. for the future for us. But we have a nice house. We have a pool, four acre, uh, three and a half acres, nice. um, yeah. big yard, and, and all this with basketball court and all these nice things. And one day I I, I looked around and I'm like, you know, I've been working since I was 11 years old in New York City. Right? I grew up in the hood. I grew up, you know, mm-hmm. poor, having nothing. Mm-hmm. I look around and I'm like, these kids are so comfortable, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Games, I mean, they have the Xbox, they have the Wii, they have all of these things mm-hmm. and all of these. Yeah. And I said, you know what? And I got to thinking, I was like, how am I going to teach my kids mm-hmm. work ethic? How am I going to yeah. teach them how, right? Because I struggled right. with that. I don't want to ra- raise entitled yeah. brats. Yeah. And, um, I, I I was my office here where I rent my office. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I went to the owner, which was one of my first mentors. She owns. She's the biggest investor in the area, mm-hmm. and I went to her and I said, and the property manager at the time, and I was like, "Hey, who's doing the cleaning of the building? Mm-hmm. Right, because they're not doing a good job. Mm-hmm. How about if I bring my kids mm-hmm. and I have my kids clean the bathrooms, clean the toilets, vacuum yeah. once a week, and we wow. pay and we pay them? And the, and Kathy, being who she was, she was like, "Absolutely, I love that idea." Mm-hmm. So she she gave us this. Uh, we we start. I started a cleaning company just to teach the kids, <laughs> literally just to teach my right. kids. Right. And in this process, my kids learned so much. So my so my 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 daughter, um, my son, my oldest son, mm-hmm. bought his first car from mm-hmm. the money he saved from the cleaning company. Wow! Right. So did my daughter. Yeah, and my son graduated from Penn State. 
um, my, oh, my, my, my son graduated from Penn State. He bought his first car, which he just, which just crapped on him. He graduated in 2020 right. uh, with business major from Penn State. And he bought his car, which just crapped on him from that business. And right. that was the way, the only way I figured I, it was the way I thought of, of yeah. like, hey, how can I teach my kids work, that, work ethic? Yeah. But they learned so much. As we talk about it now, they learned so much, um, Aaron, about, work ethic because here they were they were literally mopping the floors cleaning the toilets cleaning mm -hmm. the urinals and it taught them so much humility right right when right. we go on vacation now when we go on cruises and we go to these nice resorts and they they value those people that clean that are cleaning they're they, yeah. they thank you they hold the door for them right. because they remembered what it was like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to be on the other side yeah of that. yeah yeah, and that that's hard thing to impress upon your your children is work ethic and also being hungry, like the desire to uh, be successful. Um, you know, I, I do worry about a lot of the talking heads and social media and other like who who uh, kind of um, make wealth or success something like that. Oh, you're working for the man, or like you know, you being wealthy isn't cool anymore. You know, being rich is and like I. I don't want that. You know, I'm I don't sorry, like that. I don't right. Yo, listen, man. Listen, being wealthy isn't cool anymore. Right, right. When, dude, try being freaking poor. Excuse my language, man. <laughs> try being poor. Listen, I was, my mom, my mom came pregnant here with me to the United States, brother. Yeah. When yeah. we talk, and here's my message to all of those guys, if they're listening, because yeah. I, I hope they're listening, because <laughs> I got a message for them right now. Yeah. My mom came pregnant with me here in 1978 with me mm. she sent me back to dominican republic <laughs> in dominican republic and i want you to picture this and i want your audience to picture this mm -hmm. when you think of third world countries when you see those those tvs on tv where those kids are running around without a shirt in their underwears without shoes yeah. brother we didn't have any running water in my house i had wow. to wake up at five o'clock in the morning at three four years old with my grandma with a gallon of water to walk a half a block to fill water to fill a, mm -hmm. uh, a 50 gallon tank so we have water to flush the toilet with for the day and water to brush our teeth and cook with for the day. Mm -hmm. We talk about poverty. Yeah, it, it it may not be cool for the woke and blah, 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 bull yeah. crap. Yeah. Try being that. Right, right. Try, like, live that way. Live yeah. that way for a minute. When it rains, when it rained, we literally had to put buckets, Aaron, in because yeah. we had tin. Our roof was made out of tin. So what right. happens in the Caribbean when the... When the sun hits the tin, it beams on it. You're in the Caribbean. Yeah. It makes pinhole needle. It makes pinholes, little holes on the roof. So wow. when it rains, uh -huh. it rains inside the house. You got drops. Right. The right. So yeah. we literally oh had God. to put buckets, pots and pans around yeah. the house. And then when they failed, we would take them out to the backyard and put them back. <laughs> oh my okay. God. Yes. So you want to talk about like someone's trying to shame me because right. or someone's trying to make me feel guilty. Screw you. Try living like that. Yeah. yeah Let me tell crazy. you something. Yeah. This is this side having the ability to to have things and and be able to take my family and be able to provide my family with a home where where mm -hmm. water doesn't leak, be able to pay my mother's rent every month, right. be able to provide a service, be able to be mm -hmm. of value to the community mm -hmm. is much, much better than being broke yeah. and not having money to get on the train on the New York City subways because I've been there too. 
Yeah, or saying you're a victim with your iPhone and you're you know living in your mom's basement. You know? Stop it! <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! Try 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 living right. in a third world country. Oh try living. Gosh. Go to Cuba where 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 where, where food is portioned and yeah. rationed. I know a lot of Cubans. My right. mom's been to Cuba and mm -hmm. she's told, dude, in Cuba because you can't go to we can't go to Cuba anymore, Americans. So they whatever mm -hmm. the thing was, Obama right. opened it up and yeah, it's closed up again. But my mom went and she said to me. You know, we're Dominican, right? So we're all the Caribbean. And so mm -hmm. she would go when she went twice, she would go with a lot of clothes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then she would give it to the people. She wow. said they would go to the resorts. And in order to give it to them, she would have to fill out a form for right. the government to let them know what she gave them, brother. It's wow. It was crazy. She said there would be so much food at the resorts where they would stay. Mm -hmm. There would be so much food at the resorts where they would stay. And the people would not dare. They they threw the food away. They would not dare to touch the food and eat it. So my mom, she tells, she she shares with me. They would take food like to go on these tours and the buses, mm -hmm. and so she would because she's a diabetic. She would take food with her. Yeah, and she yeah. would use it as an excuse. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And then while she was in the bus, she would say to the to the employees, "Here, guys, come eat. Just eat whatever yeah. you want." Yeah, right. Just, like yeah. because they didn't, they don't have. They don't have that ability to do that. So you won't talk mm -hmm. about poverty, man. Mm -hmm. Try living like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. Anyone that complains <laughs> about America and how you know they're a victim here and it's so hard, da da da, and they're you know living in the living off their parents basically, and you know it's like yeah, no, you should go live in a third world country for some time and really experience true poverty, true hardship to just get a grasp on reality and how good we have it here. And you know, for the people that died for these freedoms and our ability to say, mm -hmm. oh, America, you know, you and absolutely that's important thing in our democracy to be able to recognize our flaws and mm -hmm. in our system and in, in capitalism and try to guide it in the right way but i mean capitalism has lifted the most amount of people out of poverty ever in history you know I'm one, of them. I'm yeah, one of them yeah exactly right here it's the most beautiful thing in the world and now it's there's like this push for socialism it's the scariest freaking thing if you open a history book and look at where socialism and uh, communism has landed people, I mean, millions of deaths, millions. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, that's a whole other podcast. But uh, anyway, my friend, we're, we're definitely going uh, long here. I, I love our conversation. I love what we're talking about. We touched a little bit on politics here and talked about you know, work ethic, um, how, you know, how to stay focused in your business. So the most important thing is focus to be the best at what you do and every day improve yourself to get there. And, it, you know, don't bite off more than you could chew either, right? And work mm -hmm. through those four phases of business that we all struggle with. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then sometimes you're in the middle of it and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you're like, I, I know I need to hire a guy to do this, but I can't afford to hire him, but I hate doing it. You know, how am I going to figure this out? And, but, but generally if you put your head down, you focus and you do what you need to do. Um, I also took out some credit cards to help with those costs along the way. Me too. Run your business, you know, get it off the ground. But th that's the uh, the name of the game. But really enlightening podcast here. I, I love what we're talking about, Martin. But uh, we are out of time here. So how can people reach you and learn more about what you do? Hey, just uh, you can. I'm on social media, right? So you can check out my my Instagram, the Elite Strategist. You could just look me up and make sure you check out my podcast. I'm talking about this kind of stuff. I'm gonna have Aaron on my podcast here soon. And um, Latinos in Real Estate Investing podcast, although it is, it is Latinos in Real Estate Investing, 
It's not Latinos. It's in English. Um, I just recently did a, I did, a, I got invited to a podcast in Spanish and my Spanish was horrible, man. It was more <laughs> Spanglish. It was more English and Spanish. I was talking to uh, English and Spanish uh, uh, because I'm, you know, first born generation American, right? So yeah. that's all, that's what we speak at home. It's English mm-hmm. mostly. So my Spanish yeah. is a little rusty. Yeah. So um, yeah, go check out Latinos and real estate investing podcast and check out my YouTube channel and uh, the elite strategists and Latinos and real estate investing podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Martin, really looking forward to being on your show in the next couple of weeks. I'm very excited there. And of course, to our listeners who are enjoying these episodes, please be sure to hit the like and subscribe button so you can get more of them in the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube there. And of course, our website, peoplescapitalgroup.com has all of our episodes of all of our hundred plus podcasts and uh, weekly webinars that I do as well. So I come out with usually a new webinar almost every single week on different topics, different guests. So check that out at our website, peoplescapitalgroup.com. It's all free. We don't sell coaching or education like that. We just help people invest in real estate. So you can learn more at peoplescapitalgroup.com. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming. I really enjoyed this conversation. My yeah, friend. me too, brother. Me too. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. And thank you for your listeners for staying to, to the end. Yes, absolutely. All right. Have a good day, my friend. You too, brother. Mm-hmm.